Right, here we are again. It's episode 11 of season 2. Uh, we've got another VAR-packed episode coming to you from a slightly different medium today, so we do apologise if there's a slight difference in audio quality. But, um, well, as always, I'm Ross Evans and my co-host Dan Newton. Hello. And what did you make of the week's football, Dan? Yeah, I mean, with everything shut down, it's always good to have football to uh, look back on and, you know, have something to actually do. Um, and it was a pretty good week of football, I've got to say. I think some games were a bit disappointing, but others uh, were really impressive. Um, I thought the Liverpool-Man City game was a bit of a, a disappointment. I don't know about you. Uh, it was, I thought it was a good first half, and then the second half was a bit of a... A damp squib, if I'm honest, but yeah, it was a very damp squib as well. I don't think the the weather helped them that much. Um, no, not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a bit of a it was a very tight game. I thought. I think a yeah. draw was definitely the right result. Although I yeah. think Man City, with the uh, penalty miss, will be very disappointed not to take all three points and kind of close the gap onto Liverpool. Yeah, and I mean it's something we've got to get into of course as we say VAR controversy throughout the Premier League again fourth yeah. week in a row um, and the England squad and games to look forward to so without further ado let's get straight into it so let's start off with our predictions and we can safely say we got them all wrong again yep same as usual <laughs> uh, yeah. um, we'll start off with the Everton Man United game which we actually predicted in Everton's favour, and you predicted actually a nil-nil. Uh, finished three-one to Man United, uh, who actually decided to turn up this week. Yeah, they did. Uh, they didn't start the greatest, obviously going one-nil down to Bernard. But um, no, you got to say Bruno Fernandez really kind of carried them to the win. Yeah, it's you know Oli took a big gamble, big decision in not starting Pogba, and they actually looked better for it, didn't they? Uh, they did, yeah. I, I thought, um, you know, United's midfield is something we've talked about a lot and there's a lot of different opinions on who should be starting there. But um, look, if Fernandez is going to play that well and they're going to be growing out results, then you can't really argue with the selection. No, and I mean, Fernandez did, there's a few times where he did give the ball away and as we saw against in uh, Basak Shakir in the Champions League, I think he gave the ball away something like 34 times. Um, and he didn't, so there were other times in the Everton game where you thought he could maybe do a bit more with the ball and could have done better in holding on to it. But almost that risk-taking actually benefited United and made him look like a bit more of a potent attacking threat. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those players where, because he's always looking for that killer ball and to you know, actually create opportunities, he's always going to run the risk of giving the ball away and having turnovers. But that's just yeah. how he plays. And when you have someone of his ability, you can kind of forgive it. I mean, sure, he gave the ball away. I think he might have actually gave the ball away in the lead-up to Everton's first goal. Or at least they had a really good chance, which came from him giving the ball away. But he also scored yeah. two others and assisted the third. So <laughs> when, yes. when, you, when he's contributing three goals, you can kind of forgive him a little bit, I think. Yes, yeah. I mean, he, he won that match, really, for United, didn't he? Without him, I, think, I don't think they were up to much. Yeah, no, he's really shown why he's so important to that United team. Yeah, and speaking of Everton, they seem since that first international break and then the uh, it's called the controversy from the Merseyside derby, they don't look the same team, do they? They seem to be struggling going forward. They do, yeah. They've definitely hit um, kind of a rough patch. I think maybe 
they're kind of victims of their own success, really, you know, with how well they started and everyone's talking about, oh, maybe they'll go for the title or, you know, at least top four. I think now they're maybe settling into, okay, we had a really good start. Now they've kind of got to get back to normality and um, start grinding out some results because they've dropped a lot of points recently. And um, yeah, they're, they're at risk of maybe going into a really bad spell of form. Yeah. Do you think they missed Richarlison? Like, I thought they did. I think they look a completely different team with with Richarlison and they're just an extra creative, slightly more direct player. But um, how do you think he affects that team? Yeah, I mean, I, I think most teams in the Premier League would miss someone like Richarlison. I think he's, he's a really good player. And, um, I mean, to be fair, Bernard actually you know scored for them. But um, I think in terms of the kind of energy and the uh, aggressiveness that Richarlison brings to that attack, it's not the same when he's not there. And, um, yeah. I mean, that aggress- aggressiveness often uh, leads to him getting sent off. <laughs> is why he wasn't involved um but i think he's a key player a key player for them and once they get him back they should hopefully get back to winning ways yeah and maybe the two-week international break will do well for them just a little chance to recover recuperate maybe some players who are away on international duty get that opportunity to regain a little bit of confidence they may have lost yeah it so... gives them a chance to kind of reset and know readdress where they are and maybe um Ancelotti you know get some time to analyze the games in a bit more detail and figure out what went wrong for them yeah because he is as, we, as we've said before we're both Ancelotti fans and he is a top manager so you would expect him to be able to fix it yeah definitely yeah I don't, I don't, I don't think Everton really need to be worried or anything I think it's just more of a blip than a than hopefully you know a sign of things to come yeah yeah of course um on to our next game then was Leicester Wolves, which I predicted as a draw. You predicted a Wolves win, and Leicester came away with a one-nil win thanks to a Jamie Vardy penalty. Um, yeah. While we'll get on to the VAR call in a minute, what did you make of the game? Yeah, I thought Leicester played really well. Um, I think maybe I personally have perhaps underrated Leicester a little bit and overrated Wolves um, for various reasons, but. Gotta say, I think Leicester did deserve the win. Obviously, they had a second penalty as well, which was uh, fantastic, uh, fantastically saved. And I think they had more chances to win it than Wolves did. And yeah, I think it just shows that Leicester are definitely competing for top four this year. And like, they're not just kind of there to make up the numbers. They're really trying to, well, I said make top four, but the way the league's going, maybe even challenge for the title. Yeah, well, I mean, well, they're currently sat in first place, aren't they? So, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's still early doors in the Premier League. But one thing I did notice with Leicester is against Wolves, they've had something like eight men back in the box. Like, yeah. the defensive side of Leicester's game is ridiculously good. They sit deep. I mean, they get, we say, in when they sit deep, it makes it difficult anyway. But the top teams and good attacking teams can still break through that. And I think we have to rank Wolves as a solid attacking team. Um, that When they sit back, it just looks like no one can break them down. Yeah, I mean, I think we both agree, you know, defending's uh, a lot more complicated than just sticking everyone behind the ball. You know, if yeah. it was that simple, everyone would do it. But um, they're showing that, you know, they're tactically able to set up in a way that protects their defence. And when you've got Jamie Vardy up front, it always benefits you to try and play on the counter-attack, especially yeah. against a team like Wolves that will try and press you high. And yeah. 
I think, you know, they're very organized. They're very, um, you know, very competent at the back. Yeah, I mean, and going forward, they look dangerous, don't they? Madison's returning to full fitness. Vardy's back. He scored, albeit a penalty. Should have had two, but... Yeah, he, he should have scored the second one. Excellent, excellent penalty save. Yeah, it was, yeah. Maybe, um, and then it did rebound to him. I think it maybe got a little unfortunate that he wasn't quite prepared for the rebound. But... Yeah, it was quite an odd rebound. I thought it was going to just drop yeah. into, the, into the back of the net when it hit him, but uh, no, he, yeah. he didn't have quite that much luck with it. It was um, certainly an interesting game, but as we said, it's a controversial VAR moment, which we will move on to. But first, we got to look at another game, the biggest, probably the biggest game of the weekend that had, a, again, a controversial VAR call in uh, City versus Liverpool, which we both yeah. predicted Liverpool wins, and it was a draw. And you got to say that that's arguably a deserved result. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we mentioned it earlier, I think a draw is definitely um, the right result. I don't think either team really, you know, hit the heights that they have this season. And that's how it often is with, you know, these really big uh, big games against the two favourites of the title. They can often end up quite uh, quite disappointing. Um, but yeah, no, I think a draw is definitely a fair result. But uh, Man City maybe had the better chances. Obviously, De Bruyne um, very uncharacteristically yeah. missing a penalty. Yeah, I mean, he really dragged it, didn't he? Put it wide. It was, you know, we expect a player of De Bruyne's quality to at least put it on target, and he didn't do that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that should be the bare minimum when anyone takes a penalty, let alone when it's someone of such technical ability of Kevin De Bruyne. But, um, yeah, look, I'm sure Liverpool will be uh, very grateful that he missed it. But, um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I thought, um, uh, draws a fair result probably benefits Liverpool a bit more, obviously because Man City have had a pretty poor start to the season. But, yeah, um, you think that Man City have really got to start putting up points on the board quickly to start catching them. Yeah, I mean, do you think Liverpool, in changing from their traditional sort of four-three-three system to what you'd say is maybe a slightly more defensive system? Because um, it started as a four-two-three-one, and it eventually became a sort of four-two-four. Yeah. But to change your system against a city side that isn't quite at their best, do you think that was maybe Klopp showing a little too much respect, or a, a well found, a well grounded decision? Maybe. I mean, it's it's a bit reminiscent of you know Guardiola in the Champions League. He always likes to kind of tinker with his teams, but um. I think, to be fair, it's more to do with the form of um, Diego Jota. I think he's been playing so well that Klopp's, I think, just trying to figure out how he can fit all his attackers into one system. And yes. um, personally, for me, I, I think that's maybe not the right idea. I think maybe drop Firmino and try and figure out a system where he's not involved because I don't think he's played particularly well for maybe two seasons now, which is crazy to consider they won the title um, last year. But I think he's maybe not at the heights of his uh, teammates. No, I mean, certainly he's... I mean, his he plays a sort of a different role that, that we would expect from a number nine. Um, but he's certainly not hit his influential height. You know, it's... Yeah. He, I think he it's the fifth game he failed to register a shot on target. Um, at fourth, where he's not created a chance... Yeah, so uh, I think that's the key thing there that he's not really creating chances either. Yeah, like you said, he, he plays in a 
know, kind of a specialized, like, is false nine even the right word for it? But it's something like that. Um, yeah. Where he is more about creating chances and, you know, pressing the opposition. And I don't think he's even doing that particularly well lately. And no, he's, when he's not he's scoring the goals the alongside that, then you do have to wonder at what point do you drop him? Yeah. Um, I mean, would you. Do you think he needs to be dropped, maybe just for a few games to read? While you've got Jot on such a wonderful run of form, do you think drop Firmino outright, just give him some time to just sort of maybe relax a bit, maybe just try and recover a little bit? Because it's always, you know, with the way last season went and this season has started, maybe a little lacking in energy? Possibly. I mean, I'm sure he's played an awful lot of football for Liverpool, uh, you know. He gets picked so often that maybe he is just, you know, like you said, needs a bit of a rest. Um, but for me, yeah, yeah, I, I, I would drop him. I think Liverpool have that kind of quality in their squad now that they can afford to, you know, leave him out of the team for a little bit and, you know, try something different. Yeah. And speaking of, we mentioned squad depth. We've got to quickly talk about the injury to Alexander-Arnold, another Liverpool defender going down injured. We don't yet know for how long, although it looked like a muscle injury to his calf. But, um, it's not good for Liverpool fans, is it? No, it's, it's, it's not um, what you want to see when they've already had so many injuries. Um, it's also, it's, it's not good for the England squad, which um, we'll get onto later on. But, um, you know, he's a fantastic player and he's, he's so crucial to how Liverpool play and how they're set up that it could be a huge miss for them if he's out for an extended period of time. You know, I, I don't really know who would fill in for him, you know. Would it be Nico Williams or, you know, James Milner, which, you know, really wouldn't be ideal? No, he's, you know, he comes up against a quick, tricky ring uh, winger and he could be in a bit of trouble, couldn't he? Yeah, definitely. You know, he's, he's a fantastic utility player and he's, you know, played in the Premier League for so long, but he's definitely, you know, coming to the end of his career and, I, I really wouldn't fancy him, you know. Um, you know, you think he was up against Raheem Sterling um, before when he came on, which he, he dealt with relatively well, but I wouldn't want to see him up against wingers every week. No, especially not for full 90 minutes. Um, other game that we picked up, we didn't actually predict this one, but another game we've sort of decided before recording to look at was the Arsenal-Aston Villa game. Yeah. we didn't... We didn't see that result coming, did we? No, I think everyone was uh, very surprised by it. You know, um, Arsenal looked like they've kind of turned a corner, you know, beating Manchester United and looking very solid at the back. Maybe not quite as good going forward, but looking very good defensively. And, well, <laughs> they were just pretty pretty poor all over the pitch, I think, against Villa. Yeah, and Ollie Watkins getting a two, and I think Grealish involved in all three goals. Yep, yeah, yeah, Jack Grealish is really showing why he should be maybe the first name on the team sheet for England based off his form right now. Yeah, it's it it, it stuns me that he's not getting in a starting role in the England squad, but just especially when he can play out wide on the left and Sterling's not in the best form. Um, Rashford is a quality player but dips in and out, can sort of... Yeah, he can be a bit inconsistent, Rashford. Yeah, so I think when you've got players playing so well consistently, you have to sort of look past the name and go on form, which I think has always been a 
hallmark of England managers is they go on names rather than form once they pick their team. Um, you know, you're trying to fit, you look historically, we tried to fit four central midfielders into a 4-4-2 that didn't work when we had someone who could have played a holding role or played out wide, but who was actually on good form, and they ignored, but they went for the names. Yeah, you think you're like Paul Scholes on the wing, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's it, not where he should be playing. Um, and I think Grealish might be suffering a little bit of that, maybe Madison as well, you think. He's not getting in over sort of more established players. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd agree. I think the thing about uh, Grealish is even if you don't play him off the left wing, you could definitely fit him in as a, a number 10, I, I, I think. I, he's just such a creative player, and that's the one thing we always complain about England is they don't really have these kind of creative playmakers, and he's showing, you know, week in, week out, that's what you can do. Yeah. Um, Arsenal were a bit... In a bit of turmoil, wouldn't they? Like it, Arteta seems to be able to get it. Just when you think, oh, he's finally getting it right, they get a result like this. Do you think it's a case of more backing needed for him, more financial backing? Because still, a lot of the players there aren't his players. It's still not, you wouldn't say, his team. Yeah, um, possibly. I, you know, I think he has been backed relatively well. You know, I don't think Arsenal can really go out and spend, you know, two hundred million in in one transfer window. I think everyone would agree they did good business um, at the start of the season. And I think maybe it's just a case of, you know, really defining what Arteta's style of football is going to be. Because at times they've looked like they're going to play this really uh, free-flowing kind of playing out of the back possession football. And other games they looked very solid and organised. And, you know, I think they've maybe been a bit pragmatic uh, depending on the games, but I think they really need to kind of define how they're going to play. And once they do that, then if the results don't pick up, then maybe they need to look to the transfer window. Yeah, I mean, we saw a rather energetic Arsenal side a couple of weeks ago. And now this team we've got, now they look like two different teams, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they, they look, I mean, they looked very poor against Villa. They were kind of all over the place. They didn't really have any kind of, you know, organisation. And that, I mean, you've got to um, give credit to Aston Villa because they've... Um, Showing the season they can beat the best of teams, and they played really well against Villa and against Liverpool earlier in the year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think Arsenal are maybe in a little bit of trouble, or maybe just need to get a bit more consistency to their performances and their results. Yeah, and I think you know, despite the poor results and not performing to their peak, I think Arsenal fans and the board need to just back Arteta and just stick with him because it's not going to be a long, you know, it's not going to be a short process. Yeah, it's going I to agree. take some time. I mean, you look at Ferguson when he first joined United, you know, it wasn't an overnight success. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Arsenal have been struggling for, you know, quite a long time now, you know. Yeah. Even, even back to when Wenger was the manager, you know, the last couple of seasons weren't great um, in terms of, you know, results and end product. Um, your football was always very nice to watch. And I think it's maybe, a, you know, a bigger tougher job there than maybe Arsenal fans appreciate. I don't think they're really ready for, you know, innocent success. I think it's going to take a a lot of work for them. Yeah, and, you know, we saw Liverpool as well. You know, they had a huge transitional period from sort of the time when Benitez left, and then it sort of picked, slowly picked up again until Rodgers took them to second place. 
And after that, I just came back down again. Klopp comes in, and it's it's you know it took him four years to win the title, three years to win the Champions League, but it's still that transitional period we see in big clubs. I think Arsenal are just going through theirs that they'll get through if they stick with a manager for more than two seasons. Yeah, no, I agree. I think they definitely need to look to a more kind of long-term plan than expecting this instant success. I mean, like I said, we've yeah. seen it with Liverpool. We're seeing it with Manchester United as well. And, I mean, it looks like we're seeing it with Arsenal. And I think all those clubs maybe need to look more long-term and kind of allow the other clubs, you know, a bit more of like respect for their kind of immediate success or maybe their kind of long-term plans that are now um, paying off. Yeah, it's certainly something I think to keep an eye on and Arsenal fans are obviously going to be interested in to see what happens to their club in the, in the coming months and years. Speaking of something that might halt the progress of Arsenal Football Club is if they get any dodgy VAR decisions, which <laughs> thankfully they weren't on the right side. They were all on the right side. I don't think they had a VAR decision. However, that doesn't mean that VAR wasn't involved this week. So how about we get on to, our, as we said, our newest weekly segment, VAR. What the fuck is going on? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm really tired about talking about VAR, I'm not going to lie. It's, um, yeah. it's the same conversation every week, and it's it's just tiresome and frustrating. Yeah. I mean, with the, the VAR calls we picked out, first, I think we have to talk about the Wolves and the Liverpool one um, in the same vein, because they're very similar. Obviously, both Kilman and Joe Gomez uh, giving away penalties for handball. Yeah. Do you, so we'll sort about them separately. Wolves, do you think that's a handball? And um, therefore penalty? To be honest, I think it probably is. I think maybe, you know, a couple of years ago it definitely wouldn't have been, but just the way handball is treated now, I think if your arm isn't completely tucked inside your body and it hits it and, you know, it did, you know, prevent the cross from coming into the box or yeah. sorry, not from coming into the box from, um, you know, going past Kilman. Um, I think it probably is. It's a frustrating one, but I think that's just um, how football is now. That That's always going to be a penalty with the current rules. Yeah. And then, do you feel the same about the Gomez penalty? I do, yeah. I, I think the Gomez one is um, not quite as bad, maybe. Um, because, he, you know, he's trying to pull away. But again, I do think it is a penalty. And uh, to be fair, I think VAR got both of those right. Yeah, I mean, I'm as a Liverpool fan, I'm a little loath to agree with you on the Gomez one, but I think certainly the Wolves penalty, having seen seen it, is the arm is quite clearly outstretched, outstretched past the natural silhouette of the body. Yeah. So, I think that one is more clear cut. Um, the Gomez one, it looks to me like he's trying, like I say, he's trying to pull out out of the way and it's more almost been kicked at his hand rather than or at the arm rather than the the natural outstretch towards the ball but again as you say that is this is football now um that it, that is how it works now that is a handball yeah. and i think i Harry neville said on the day or was it maybe jamie carragher said that without var that's not a penalty um, and they don't, as defenders, they don't see it as a penalty, but, well, of course they wouldn't, but I, I 
I'm tired of seeing that sort of penalty when yeah, the hand is yeah. where the hand is in a position that is not unnatural, but it's not quite out. You know, it's not quite out there enough, and it's it always seems to rule in, fa- in favour of the attacker. Yeah, um, I mean, I I can see why people like you know Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher are frustrated with that because back when they were playing that, that would never have been a penalty. But I just think the way you know football's moved on, and you see these decisions every week, not just in England but you know across Europe, where you know decisions like that are being given as penalties and. In one way, you know, it's kind of good because people like to see goals and, you know, more penalties means more goals. But, um, yeah, I, I can see why, you know, if that was my team I was supporting, I might be frustrated with that being given as a penalty. But, um, yeah. I don't know. For, for me, I think just from what we're seeing every week, I think that is a penalty now. Yeah. Um, but speak, you say frustrating. I don't think anyone could be more frustrated than Leeds fans. With the VA, the ridiculous VAR decision to rule Patrick Bamford offside. Yeah, now this is something we we can definitely agree was incorrect, or or not that the uh, actual lines were incorrect or anything, but just how the offside rule is being used is just ridiculous from that kind of situation. Yeah, I mean, for those who didn't see it, Patrick Bamford scores for Leeds, and there's a VAR check for offside as as often there is when a player has run along the line and broke the line to get in behind but they always just check it as you know we all know that Bamford's body is clearly onside by about a yard yeah however he's pointing to where he wants the ball played to communicate with his teammates the arm he is pointing with is offside and they've given him offside for that it's oh I, I don't I don't understand how they've given it I don't yeah it's just it's so silly like he's not really gained an advantage you know the ball was always going to go there and it's just kind of like he's had to run past the defender anyway and I I just think there should be more kind of thought that goes into these decisions it, and yeah. people always say you know offside or you know it's black and white if you're offside you're offside but think about like if he's actually gained an advantage for that, and I don't think he has, because he still had to run past the defenders. Like, I think if the majority of him is on side, clearly it's just so mm. stupid. Like, I mean, there's, there's there's no advantage to having an arm past a defender because you cannot play the ball with the arm. There is yeah. no advantage if you decide. Oh, look, I stuck my arm out to to catch the ball in an offside position. It's handball. It's not offside, it's handball. That's the infringement. So therefore, the arm cannot be deemed as, as, a, um, you know, as an advantage. It, it makes no sense. And I, I don't know if you saw the clip, just to go back to the Wolves one, of the VAR um, referee and his assistant debating whether or not it was a penalty. Uh, I didn't see that, no. There's a, cl- a clip surfaced of the, of the two sort of debating slash arguing over the how to implement the rules. So you could argue that they don't really know what they're doing with it. Yeah, I think that's, you know, we've been saying this all season now, I think there's a real big issue with understanding of the rules and maybe we don't know what exactly is, but when the people actually making the decisions are disagreeing, then that is a problem because, you know, the rules should be in place so that the people who actually study the rules and know them well should have complete agreement over what is the penalty or what is handball, what is offside. 
Yeah, I mean, as I say, we sort of keep a running score of how VAR did. And, you know, under new football, they're actually they got two of those decisions right. Wolves and Liverpool, you have to say decisions were right, but the yeah. Leeds one just awful, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, like I said, it's just like no one wants to see that goal disallowed. And um, I mean, if that goal um, is allowed, it completely changes the game. You know, obviously Palace yeah. went on to win comfortably, but I think at that point it would have been one-one. I think, or maybe even, I think it would have been one-one. Yeah. So and that you know changes the complexion of the game. And yeah. like I said, no one wants to see that goal disallowed. No, no, absolutely silly. Um, you know we hate seeing VAR used incorrectly. But speaking of things I hate more is watching Fulham play because they're awful. Yeah, they uh, they're not looking good, are they? No. Um, losing one nil, you can argue it's a better defensive display, and I know they've had some injury problems. But I mean, you've got to say they're probably a sure shot to go down, aren't they? Yeah, you know, I, I don't remember a team ever being this poor and ending up, you know, staying up. Um, you know, I I think definitely should be worried i mean i remember watching the playoff final against brentford and i think fulham you know got through because they scored two really you know outstanding individual goals you know it wasn't because they played brentford off the park or anything and i think that's kind of shown that maybe you know they not that they were lucky um to get promoted but they did better in this like a a one-off game rather than from being consistent over the course of a season and i think now that they're playing you know regularly against better opposition they're um, definitely being found out. Yeah, and I mean, they are currently 17th, so they're not in the relegation spot. They're above West Brom, Burnley, and Sheffield United. But you'd say in terms of those bottom three teams, they're playing better football than Fulham. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think those bottom three teams are definitely maybe not getting the results that some of their players deserved. Um, I think especially, you know, Sheffield United have played reasonably well and maybe had a a tough start having played you know quite a few of the the good teams um so far yeah and um yeah i think if fulham do stay up it'll be more um through luck than uh <laughs> anything else yeah because they don't look up so much and we've got to talk about lookman's penalty yeah um i mean i like lookman i think he you know is potentially going to be a good player um and you know, I I do admire the kind of uh, <laughs> the boldness to uh, try a penalty like that so late in a game. But uh, when it doesn't come off, you do uh, you do look like an idiot. Yeah, I mean, if he, I think if he gets a bit more power in the chip, he actually he probably scores. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Because Fab, it was it Fabianski. Was it West? Yeah, it, it was yeah, yeah Fabianski in goal, I think. Fabianski had already gone down to his right, but has enough time to get up and recover. So I think a bit more power in the chip, and I don't think Fabianski is going to get to it. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those penalties that, you know, we always talk about if you execute it properly, you know, you're going to score most of the time. But when it goes wrong, it, it goes very wrong. Yeah, and you look really stupid. Yeah. Um, like I said, you know, I, I like Lookman. I admire, you know, someone trying that. But, um, no, um, it it didn't work out for him. No, it's oh, I feel sorry. Do feel sorry for the lad, but at the same time, you, you know, if you take the risk of taking that style of penalty, it's there's always a 
high chance it's going to backfire. Yeah, and I mean, if Fulham end up being relegated by a point, then, you know, they're really going to look back at that penalty and think, why didn't you just smash it? Yeah, um, which, well, you say that we have seen penalties where they've been smashed and they've been blazed over, blazed wide. I know, it was the um, FA Cup um, first round proper. I watched a lot of penalty shootouts between non-league teams and (laughs) that was not the uh, quality of penalty you normally expect from watching professional footballers. No, we do, you know, we have said that sort of the minimum requirement, I think, for a professional footballer at the penalty spot is to um, put it on target. Up to uh, After that, it's down to the keeper. But you do expect a penalty to be put on target, don't you? Yeah, yeah, usually. But um seems like it's not as easy as uh, you might think. No, it seems that maybe they do cause a little bit more trouble. Um, maybe that's to do with the pressure, but there's no fans in the stadium, so <laughs> yeah. that argument kind of goes out the window. Moving on from the Premier League, we're now going to be looking forward to the international break. It's got a two-week break, and England will be playing Ireland, Belgium, and Iceland. The Ireland game obviously being a friendly. Um, we do have to make a quick point of that due to travel restrictions... Uh, because of the pandemic, the Iceland game may not take place. It's yeah. been reported, so it may only be the two games. Um, what did you make of the squad? Yeah, um, to be fair, I think looking at the England squad, there's not really a lot you can complain about. I think um, it kind of picks itself at this point. Um, the only thing I'd complain about is I don't know why we always pick like five right backs for every squad. <laughs> so. Yeah. It gets kind of sillier every time we do it. Um, yeah, I mean, who we've got Alexander Arnold, who we know might be out. Yeah, yeah due to injury. Got Reece James, Ainsley, Maitland-Niles, Trippier, uh, Walker. Yeah, you know, it's it's too many right backs. I know a lot of them will end up playing centre back or filling in a left back, but it just annoys me. Maybe I'm irrational yeah. about that, but. <laughs> I just don't like seeing it. Um, and only six midfielders, um, which makes me think that Southgate is going to stick to his three-four-three system. Um, and I'm a bit nervous about that because any team, depending on who he plays, any team who man marks the wing backs and man marks the creative midfielder in that central midfield partnership effectively cuts off supply to the front three. Yeah. Um, then the the front three just becomes a back four's problem. And we always end up playing, you know, two defensive midfielders. So even like the yeah. out ball into them is, you know, they can't find the best balls out to the wingers either. Yeah. In that situation, you just man mark the central striker. Yeah. And again, that cr- all the creativity through the middle, gone. Creativity out wide if the person, the personnel man marking the England wing backs can do their jobs adequately, they're out of the game. And then England, it's just a case of can we stop them scoring and salvage a draw because they won't break through. I'm, I'm a little still, I'm still not settled with this three four three system. Yeah, yeah. For me personally, I'd I'd rather see us play, you know, a four three three or something like that. Um, even if you're gonna play three at the back, maybe you know three five two. I'd even prefer something like that or a different variation on it. Because I think you know we're so flat in there that, um, like you said, it, it's so easy to play against, and yeah. it's, it's been shown you know how easy it is to nullify 
what should be a really um, creative, threatening England attack. Yeah. Um, an interesting one will be goalkeepers, I think. Yeah. Because we know Pickford's not in the best form. We actually missed out on our VAR section. He probably should have had a penalty given against him in the yeah, Everton game. Yeah, kicked out Harry Maguire, didn't he? Yeah, that's... I mean... I think, to be fair in that one, um, I think Maguire might have pushed him beforehand. So I think that might have just been given as a foul on Pickford anyway. But it was still just a stupid kick yeah. out from him. Yeah. Um, so we can, we can say that Pickford's not in the best of form. Dean Henderson hasn't played. And um, so that Nick Pope's in... He knows a decent keeper. Yeah, he's not in Burnley... the greatest spell of form. Burnley have only taken two points in the Premier League so far. So, I mean, who do you take? I mean, personally, I think he's going to stick with Pickford. Um, I think, you know, Southgate obviously likes him and obviously, you know, backs him to do well for England. Um, personally, for me, I'd like to see Nick Pope probably playing because I, I do prefer him. I think he's a more reliable goalkeeper. And yeah. um, like you said, I mean, I think Dean Henson is probably the best goalkeeper out of the three, but he's just not playing. So yeah. I, I don't think you can pick him. I mean, maybe yeah. in a friendly, but um, not for two um, very important uh, um, is it Nations League matches. Yeah, Nations League and one friendly, yeah. Um, we've also pointed out that Phil Foden's back in the squad after his little misdemeanour. Um, wasn't selected in the last squad announcement. Do you think that's fair to see him back in? Yeah, I think it's, you know, a case of... You know, it wasn't that he was dropped due to footballing reasons. Like you said, it was for the disciplinary. I think now he's kind of served that kind of in-house ban, if you like. And uh, now he's back in the squad. Um, it's good to see him because, like I said, England need more creative attacking midfielders and he can really do a job there for them. Yeah. And while we see Tammy Abrahams come in, we also don't see Phil Foden's partner in crime, uh, Mason Greenwood. And he's not been in the United squad for the for last couple of games either. Do you think that's an ongoing disciplinary issue? I know there's some rumblings yeah, there's that he was lots United. Of, um, lots of rumours about various things, both to do with England and uh, Manchester United off the pitch. Um, I don't really know a lot about that, if any of it's true or not. But um, it wouldn't surprise me if it was kind of a joint effort to kind of help him sort out whatever it is he's going through right now. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, we all know that Southgate's a bit of an FA yes man, so he's going to be very keen on cracking down on any player that sort of brings the reputation of England or the FA into disrepute. He's really going to... So that's And we saw that and have yeah. seen it. Um, and I think United and Solskjaer being a United legend would Mip perhaps do the same thing yeah um, i think just... they'll try and look after him um you know ollie always reminds me of like a, a weird like kind uncle so <laughs> i think that's maybe uh trying to put a shoulder around him you know and you know help him out i mean he's more of an oh, i see more as an overly friendly pe teacher but <laughs> um yeah i mean the england squad you know you look at that you don't see any names really that are surprises there. There's no sort of surprise missions either. Yeah, um, the, only, the only one is maybe Madison, but that's probably more due to fitness than anything. Yeah, 
yeah, more fitness. You know, there's always an argument for Ross Barkley. He seems to perform reasonably well at international level. Seems to be doing quite well for Villa. That's true, actually. Yeah, actually, I think Barkley should probably be in there. Um, like you said, he's been doing really well for Villa and did really well against Arsenal. So I'm, I'm actually us... I'm surprised to not see him in there. He'd give us quite a sort of a direct runner through the midfield, you know, someone who could really carry the ball out. Get, but as we said with Barkley, it's also he doesn't quite have a footballing brain. It's like his decision making at times is questionable. He's undoubtedly talented, but his his ability to use his talent effectively is sometimes questionable. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone agrees there there is a good player in there. It's just getting him enough game time to produce it regularly. And I think yeah. if, if he can keep playing well at Villa, then I wouldn't be surprised to see him back in the England squad. And again, yeah. you know, going back to just the makeup of that squad, I definitely drop one of the right backs and put him in. Like, I think it maybe yeah. if Trent um, is left out because of injury, maybe Barkley might get um, called up in his place. Yeah, you you'd hope so, but you know, it's always with the way that Southgate is with the system, and he's quite steadfast in his decision. You just see another defender just being put in that place, don't you? Yeah, I'd probably call up James Milner at this rate. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's going to be interesting with this in- England team. Um, I mean, if we look forward to the games, you, assuming the Iceland game is on, do you, how do you see? You know, out of the three, how many do we? What's going to be our win-loss record? And I mean, out these three, England should be Ireland's and Iceland. Um, they should. That you know, that's just a fact. You know, the level of yeah. quality in that squad compared to them, it, it should be two wins from that. And I mean, Belgium is going to be tricky. Obviously, playing away from home as well isn't going to help them. Yeah. And to be honest, I, I expect Belgium will probably beat England, but I think England could definitely. Um, depending on how they set up, get a draw or a win. Yeah. But again, with England, it always comes down to how Southgate is going to set them up. I think yeah. if he plays, you know, three at the back, I just, guys don't rate England when they play that way. And I think it depends on what Belgium side turns up. You know, we got, I hate to say it, we got lucky against Belgium the last time out. They just couldn't finish. Yeah, no, I'd agree with uh, that. So, you know, Lukaku played up against Eric Dyer and had, you know, had a field day against them until they finally worked out with about 60 minutes to just don't let him back into him and drop off a bit. Um, if Belgium turn up on firing on all cylinders, I think England could be in trouble. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I agree with you. I think it could be a tricky game, but again, with England, you, you never know who's going to turn up, but, um, no, I, I expect uh, wins against Ireland and Iceland and uh, a loss to Belgium for me. Yeah. Do you think Southgate would play Grealish and Declan Rice against Ireland? Or do you think he's <laughs> far too safe for that? Um, well, I think if there were crowds in there, he might not. But it would be in an empty stadium. He might just get away with it. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it would be a interesting one for the uh, that pair of players. Um Yeah. Maybe there could be a couple of uh, tackles from the Irish players on them, but uh, yeah, some I, strong I, tackles. Yeah, I, I expect them both to to play still. Yeah, I uh, you expect them to play. We hope to see Grealish play, because um, yeah. he is probably the best creative force in the on the Premier League side of the English squad. Uh, obviously, Sancho 
do, still obviously doing well in Germany. Yeah, he's uh, not had the uh, greatest start of the season, but I think no. everyone would agree he's definitely England's best, if not only, right-sided midfielder. Yeah, I think in the squad, in terms of out-and-out right wingers, he might be the only one. Yeah, uh, Rash- Rashford prefers the left, Grealish, we know, is left-sided, Sterling prefers the left, and then you look... You're left with Calvert-Lewin, Tammy Abraham, and Harry Kane, who are all central strikers. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I think Sterling could definitely play out on the right, but uh, no, I'd expect yeah. maybe... If it was up to me, I'd have, you know, I think uh, uh, Sterling on the left, Kane up front, Sancho on the right, and kind of forcing Grealish in at number 10, I think. Yeah. I mean, and then I'm assuming Henderson or Rice sat behind them. Yeah, yeah. Or argue maybe Ward-Prowse in that role. Yeah, maybe. I'd maybe go with Henderson and, and like you said, Ward Prowse. Is his Ward Prowse certainly offers a different type of threat from set pieces, doesn't he? Yeah, and we've talked before about how crucial set pieces are to England, and I think with his delivery, he could be really good if he actually gets on the pitch. Yeah, and you know, with some some of our defenders being so strong in the air, as well as Harry Kane being more than handy in the air, I think. It, be silly to not at least utilize him in games that we may struggle with like the belgium game i think as to offer us a different type of threat if our sort of usual style of play isn't quite working yeah no I, i'd agree with that also i think i think it's good to see uh, ben Chilwell back in the squad as well and england actually having a a recognizable left back um ready to play yeah. which we definitely and- have missed a lot of and one who's been playing well for Chelsea. Please. He has, yeah. He's scored, he scored a yeah. few goals for them as well. Yeah, I, I'm glad to see him back. Um, obviously, Saka can play in that wing-back role as well, but I think still needs a bit more experience. Yeah, definitely. And I think Saka will probably end up more as a winger than he will as a, a, a sort of left-back or anything. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's good to have more than one option there at left-back. Yeah, and... You know, after having so many defensive options on the right side, finally getting some solid choices over there is is just great to see. Yeah, I agree. Well done. Here we are. End of episode 11, end of another episode of season two. Another interesting week of football. Yeah, it was. You know, it's always good to have something to talk about. Yeah, um, England to look forward to. And then, hope you know, another couple of weeks, I think, of international-themed uh, armchair managers podcast yep internationally themed and well not quite internationally distanced but uh, definitely not the usual <laughs> setup and uh, again always apologize if it doesn't quite sound as good as usual but uh trying our best and well hopefully you could actually hear this um <laughs> hopefully it's all worked yeah um as always the twitter handle will be in the description of this podcast please do go follow us over there we're always on the Twitter, trying to keep up with the world of football, bring you news when it happens. Um, Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.